0: What are Everything. Anglo thieves. The Gettle's gone? Oh my god, you people have just failed me, failed me utterly. Congratulations, Scotland, we have just gone so through the That just explains so much of my childhood to me. For research purposes? It's super important.
1: I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 70 of Anglofees, in which we have several thoughts on how this award season has gone this far. Hi, I'm Raiden.
2: I'm Alina.
0: And I'm Kaylee.
1: Kaylee is tired of <laughs> all of this shit. <laughs>
2: Well, that's okay. The way the award season is going will probably be canceled as hosts and the podcast will continue hostless in about half an hour. Yeah, that sounds right. Because, you know, the Academy Awards are coming. The ones hosted by Kevin Hart that will have the Best Popular Picture category. And <laughs> only two song
1: nominees will play. Those awards, you know. Those awards. None of those things are true anymore.
0: You know, I expect nothing from the Oscars and I'm still disappointed. (laughs) I have just come to accept that every year the best I can hope for is, oh, that was surprisingly okay. Um, But this year (laughs) it is potentially a train wreck in waiting and it looks like it is probably going to be a train wreck. I'm holding out hope because the Academy membership is younger and more diverse now. But it's really hard to be hopeful in a year of... Such contrast. I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody is literally one of the worst films I've ever seen. Not just because it is morally reprehensible, and not just because it is directed by an alleged child rapist, but it is one of just the most ineptly executed pieces of filmmaking I've ever witnessed. But hey, it made lots of money, and we're all just going to ignore the fact that it's directed by an accused child rapist because you know what the hell was Me Too again? Mm. Fuck Bryan Singer. That's that's all. Yeah.
1: And, you know, let's have a really regressive conversation about racism and how we can definitely solve all of this country's racial problems if we just, I don't know, go on a road trip, I guess.
0: Well, Driving Miss Daisy already taught us that was how racism was going to get fixed. Yeah, but that was for old white ladies. This is for racist
1: white dudes. What baffles me about Green Book is I've
2: actually kind of checked out of this award season, and even... For me, like the the one image of this award season will be all the white dudes piling on the stage to accept the Green Book Award, yeah. And like the whole thing of like, see, we made a good movie, Black People. Why don't you like it? Like oh my God.
0: So I was actually at the Toronto Film Festival when Green Book premiered and I was going to go to a screening and then decided to do other better things because I had already kind of thought well this film is it's directed by Peter Farrelly who made Dumb and Dumber and there's something about Mary it's his attempt to be serious it seems like such a a reductive regressive movie that if it had been made in 1964 would have starred like tony curtis and Sidney poitier it's that kind of film mm-hmm. and then people started really loving it and then it won the audience award mm-hmm. and then it suddenly became this oscar frontrunner. and all i could think especially after reading the reviews of a lot of people i trust particularly you know black critics was that i could not believe that this was the message that hollywood's elite and their you know, kind of Structures of Power wanted to send Especially in a year where you have black, Not only Black Panther But you have Black Klansmen. You have Spike Lee finally being nominated for Best Director He's never been nominated before And then you dare to put him in the same Conversation as watch Viggo Mortensen teach Mahershala Ali how to eat Fried chicken
1: Yeah. Well, when I first saw The ads I first heard that there was a movie called Green Book And I was like oh hmm, That could be interesting I know what the green book is. If you don't know what the green book is, it was a travel guide for black Americans of here is where it is safe for you to go. And there's a really good exhibit on it at the Smithsonian, the African American History and Culture Smithsonian Museum, which is open again because we have a government. Yay! Anyway, God, it's been...
0: <laughs> Lemon, it's February. Anyway. I think that we should just start with the categories and kind of display our ire yeah. and mixed emotions from the beginning. Okay. So let's start with the big one. Once again, there are ten possible places available for Best Picture this year. They've stuck with eight again. Can you just fill a fucking category out already? Right.
1: <sighs> What's the the mathematical formula? It's like you get x num- x percent of votes or something
0: so you it, it's done as a a runoff voting system also known as preferential oh. voting so basically you have to get 5% of the first place rankings or 5% after the transfer of the votes you know like mm. you get 10 points for first place 9 points for second mm-hmm. that kind of thing mm-hmm. um but they're they have to meet that cough, and if they don't, they just don't get nominated. And they brought this in because they were worried they'd start filling out the category with filler. This category is currently, I would say, about 20 30% filler. The nominees are Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favourite, Green Book, Roma, A Star Is Born, and Vice. First of all, Vice and Bohemian Rhapsody are two of the worst reviewed of these films by quite a distance i like most of the critics who i've talked to people i work with really did not like vice and were sort of baffled that it got nominated i think a lot of people nominated it because it just feels like something that should be an oscar film mm-hmm. and for those who don't know vice is adam mckay's film about dick cheney
1: with christian bale and his facial prosthetics
0: Christian Bale, Amy Adams, um, Steve Carell, Sam Rockwell, and a whole host of other character actor favorites.
2: If there yeah. was a movie you assumed would be a uh, This Had Oscar Buzz episode in the future.
0: <laughs> well, if you've not listened to the latest episode of This Had Oscar Buzz, they had their Sarah McLaughlin, I Will Remember You. Um, literally, that's the song <laughs> used. Like, remembrance episode of all the This Had Oscar Buzz films of 2018. A couple of which I also really liked. So, yeah. uh, it's it was a weird year.
2: Yeah, I want to plug that podcast, but also say, yeah, their latest episode is also uh, The Class of 2018, which is all the, the movies that didn't get nominated that ha- are now This Had Oscar Buzz movies.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's beautiful. And that's the weird thing, is the fact that they've chosen eight nominees in a year where you could have easily put in If Beale Street Could Talk... Or can yep. You Ever Forgive Me?
2: Yep. Or Into the Spider-Verse. I know uh, animated films don't often get nominated in the Best Picture category, but Into the Spider-Verse has been my favorite trip to the cinema possibly in a few years.
0: Well, For me, I mean, yeah. I, I think Sony didn't know what to do with that film. I don't think they realized what they had on their hands until all those critics' re- reviews started rolling in and the conversation was so serious about it and then they kind of tried to... To Because I thought they thought, oh, it will be kind of the nice icing on the cake now that Venom made us so much money. Literally, they have hundreds of millions of dollars of profit this year because of Venom. Nominate Tom Hardy
2: for eating a <laughs> lobster, you cowards! <laughs>
0: you know what? I love that performance. I can't even say anything bad about it. For me, the... No, I mean, no, it's the best
1: rom-com like... that Marvel's ever produced.
0: Oh, God, yeah. You know, th- this thing was... There was all these shocking, like shocked articles about, oh my God, all of these people on the internet are writing fan fiction about Eddie Brock and Venom. And I was just like, Uh uh-huh. Have have you seen the
2: comic (laughs) book writer writing that fanfic on his Twitter?
0: Right. (laughs) Have you met the internet? The best thing is the comic books of Venom, you know, the character started out as the sort of big, macho, edgy, dark version of Spider-Man, but all of the comics now are basically this torrid relationship drama between a man and his emotional support parasite who also gets pregnant. Like, the Venom (laughs) comics are awesome because they just delve completely at the fact that this is weird and sexy and sick and we know that you creeps want this. Because I do. I would love to have seen spider verse get nominated here. For me... The thing was, I knew like the films that I loved from 2018 were never going to get nominated. The lack of Can You Ever Forgive Me, I feel, is unfair, because I thought that film was brilliant and it would have been nice to have, you know, at least one film directed by a woman in the conversation. Yeah. And this is the thing, is 2018 was an awesome year for women directors. You had Mariel Heller with Can You Ever Forgive Me? Lynn Ramsey with You Were Never Really Here. Deborah Granick with Leave No Trace. Chloe Zhao with The Rider. Nicole Hollisiner for Land of Steady Habits. uh, Tamara Jenkins for Private Life. I mean, there were so many more even that just got really small indie releases, but there were so many films directed by women that were sweeping the critics awards that were getting amazing reviews that were doing well in the indie box office and where the sorts of films that tend to be rewarded at Oscar time and the fact that they were all in almost every category ignored in favor of shit like Bohemian Rhapsody really really infuriates me because it is bonkers that we have still only had five women nominated for best director mm-hmm. and one of them is one and they've all been white yeah and the fact that it took so long for Spike Lee to be nominated is a whole other conversation. But I think that's what's so fascinating about the Best Picture this year and actually across the board. It's a very mainstream heavy year. And given all of the shit about, oh, but we need Best Popular Film to connect to the people, the Oscars have always been middlebrow, you know? Mm-hmm. And this year, it is the most kind of mainstream populist that they've ever been. And in one, some ways, that's very good because Black Panther deserves its nomination. I think Black Klansman is wonderful. And then the fact that you have a Netflix film nominated is really exciting. But then you have the Bohemian Factoring Rhapsody. And I promise I'm not going to keep coming back to it. But
2: Oh, you will, but that's okay.
0: <laughs> it's fine. But that's the that problem. And, you know, A Star is Born was obviously a huge hit. Mm-hmm. Um, Vice is not a huge hit. Vice is not doing well at all. Vice was the only film that got a major amount of nominees nominations that the week after it got those nominations, it, it saw no bounce in its its box office. Everyone else did and they didn't.
2: So this is a little bit off topic of the actual like awards, but Vice, I think, is a victim of timing in the era of Donald Trump. Who wants to go back and watch a movie that tells them, by the way, the George W. Bush eras were just as bad. You just weren't woke enough to know or, you know, like just like it's it's about American politics when American politics are painful to people right now, like painful in a real way. I
0: don't know who thought it was a good movie to make now. But I think that's also the thing is who thought it was a good movie to make full stop? Because the thing about The Big Short, which was Adam McKay's other big serious comedy political drama, was that was taking something that a lot of people knew was bad but didn't understand the mechanics of it and explaining it.
1: Exactly. But and
0: I don't think you really need a like massive primer on why Dick Cheney sucks. Sure, a lot of people still respect him, but they're not going to be the people seeing the movie. The mm-hmm. people that are going to be seeing the movie are the ones that already know that Dick Cheney sucks. And they don't want a patronising film where it's like, well, you guys weren't listening enough. It's like, fuck you, I'm going to go back to watching Fast and Furious now that you've told me it sucks. And also, remember, this film was released on Christmas Day in America.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh my god. I mean, Raiden, as the the flag-waving eagle lover of, of the podcast. Eagles are awesome. But if you're taking your family out on Christmas Day for a nice movie to watch together, and your choices are Aquaman and Vice, where do you go? Well, actually, my
1: sister and my cousins and I go out to a movie over sort of the Christmas break when we're all in town, and the only day that we could do it was, in fact, Christmas evening. And we were going to go see Aquaman, but but we were having problems with the Fandango app, so we ended up seeing Into the Spider-Verse instead. I regret nothing.
0: But that's also the thing is, so many of these films get pushed out at, around Christmas time because it's how you meet the basic requirement to get nominated. Yep. You have to be seven days in New York and LA and a certain amount of theatres. So Vice got dumped that way because Vice is a film by Annapurna Studios who have been notoriously having trouble for the past several months. There's Mm -hmm. been a lot of rumours that they've been running out of money. There's been a lot of talk that they just haven't been putting enough support behind the films that they have. They released one of my favourite films of last year, The Sisters Brothers, and I kept asking people why they hadn't seen it, and it's like, because it never got a release. They basically dumped it, which sucks, because it was great. Vice was the film of theirs that has done the best, and it's still not going to break even, I don't think. That film cost $60 million. Mm -hmm. It needs to make at least... 150 to break even and it hasn't come out here yet but I don't expect to do massively well here but it's made about 52 million so far yep I will I I will say that I think Roma's gonna win this but which I wouldn't be who's gonna be mad about that I would I think the big message the way to like really drive home moving forward for the academy would be to award Black Panther, but I would also accept Black Klansman. It's not Spike Lee's best, but I think if you want to talk about a great fuck you film for the era, I'll take that mm. over Vigal Mortensen's fried chicken frenzy.
1: I would also accept the favorite.
0: I enjoyed the favorite. I think that this thing is I I have always been very kind of hold on yorgos lanthimos the greek director of mm-hmm. the lobster killing of sacred deer dog tooth. i kind of admire and respect what he does he tells these seemingly very mundane controlled stories about utterly unnerving nihilistic things basically humanity sucks in really dark ways so all we can do is laugh horribly about it
3: mm-hmm. but
0: i've always found his work just I, i've never liked it i've always kind of respected it I think the favorite work says is best for him is it's nowhere near as esoteric as other stuff, but he's yeah. also not, he didn't write the script. So mm-hmm. he's forced to work within a parameters of someone else's story, but use his own style. So you have his very dry humor. And then you have these like really ludicrous moments every now and then, but it never really undercuts how bleak that story is. Right. I think one of the
1: things that I thought the favorite did really, really well is, It didn't bother trying to give historical context because the era of Queen Anne is, it's a mess and the late Stuarts are a mess and saying the story is about these three women she is queen, we're at war with France that's really all you need to know and not getting bogged down in the details was a really, really smart choice.
0: No, I agree with that as well. I, well, when we get to the acting categories, so I'll have some questions about that. And I know it's really silly to look at a film that's so much about women and be like, but what about the men? Uh, but Nicholas Holt in that movie is awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, my review of that movie was included the line, there are some men in this movie, they are not that important. I mean, he was they were all great, but also, like, Stuart-era men were ridiculous. My My main complaint about the movie is that everyone looked far too healthy and far too regular. Because I know what they were eating And they were all constipated to hell
0: Yeah, they're all <laughs> still a little bit too Hollywood Pretty, even Olivia Colman as Queen Anne Queen Anne, by the end of her life Was described as being huge
1: There was an interesting article That the Fug Girls linked Yesterday That, yes, she was described As being huge But she was described as being huge by Sarah Churchill Who oh, okay. was <laughs> at her <laughs>
0: That makes sense. So, there given is her a dietary question. and you know health, the many many health issues that she had, it was not unfeasible to ima- imagine that she probably was quite large. Um, right. Not that, that was, you know, I would also, have changed Olivia Coleman's casting because she's awesome.
1: There's also the the notes from Queen Anne's autopsy, which does not describe her as being overly obese.
2: So. They autopsied a queen? That seems...
1: Yeah. Weird. Well, again, this is from the same article at the Fug
0: Girls linked. Okay, call it. Who's winning? I think Roma.
1: Um, I think probably Roma. Although, I think the favorite does have a, ch- a legit chance. Surprise us with Black
0: Panther, though. Uh, I think Bohemian Rhapsody. No, I, I think that even these assholes who didn't care about the Bryan Singer stuff will be too embarrassed to do that. I think that they will give it one nomination, a win, one win in a mm-hmm. particular category we will get to, but I don't think they will do that. Uh, the outrage would be too big. I mean, I hope so. Like, I don't have any hope about things anymore, so maybe. I think Roma is more of a consensus pick. Yeah. I think it's very easy to love Roma. Netflix have put so much money behind it. And if you want to think about the keeping the relevance of the Academy, you need a film that sends a message like that. And you do not get that with be Hamian Rhapsody or Green Book. You kind of get it with a favourite, but I think you do get it more with Roma, Black Klansman and Black Panther. I, I, seen, I think it's really weird that like A Star is Born has kind of started to peter out of the conversation a little bit.
2: Well, here's the thing, because I'm, my eyes are drifting to the best director category and i just keep on thinking how pissed was bradley cooper
0: well, well he pissed. can't move his anymore so i don't know <laughs> lay off the fellers brad okay you're beginning to look like kenny rogers but I-, I have to say i'm really annoyed that people keep saying oh bradley cooper was snub- no he's been nominated three times this year for picture actor and screenplay he's gonna be fine I actually would have had a. The pr- thing is, I think that the first half of that film is so much stronger than the second. I would have had a problem with him getting a Best pick, best Director nomination on his first film, especially since, as the fourth version of that story, the heavy lifting has already been done for him. Having said that, I am sad that this is once again another year where women apparently didn't exist. Yep. But the nominees for Best Director are Alfonso Cuaron for <clears throat> Roma, Yorgos Lanfimos for The Favourite. Spike Lee for Black Klansmen, Adam McKay for Vice, and Pavel Pavlikovsky for Cold War. Which is I a movie
2: that's... you've all definitely heard about, audio- listeners, right?
0: Well, right?
1: <laughs> I have. I've seen the ads. I tweeted at you both that I felt like the ads made it look like an insufferable Oscar bait picture.
0: Well, this is the thing is... so. Cold War is a Polish film. It is up for three awards, shockingly, including Best Foreign Language Film for Poland. Paweł Pawlikowski has actually already won that Oscar for a film called Ida, or Ida, I think it's pronounced. Cold War is loosely based on the story of his parents, who were a completely obsessive, compulsive, codependent, destructive uh, pair who were in... Poland during the Iron Curtain and one of them decided essentially they wanted to escape to the West and the other had to decide whether they wanted to go or not. It won the best director at Cannes last year and then everyone seemed well, it'll be a favourite for a foreign language film, but I don't think it'll do much else because the Academy is famously kind of allergic to acknowledging that other countries that don't speak English exist or don't have English as their first language. Mm-hmm. But some people did predict this nomination. Um, Chris Tapley from Variety and Mark Harris did call that they thought this was going to happen because they'd heard a lot of talk that people really like the director and there was just a lot of passion for that film. So clearly there was enough passion in the Directors Guild because the directors vote for themselves and the nominations for that. But it is very interesting that there are two director nominees this year who have made black and white films not in the English language that are about their parents hmm I think quiron has got a better chance. I think Spike Lee might win it actually.
1: I'd be okay with that.
0: The fact that he's never been nominated before is a crime. Yeah. Like not for Do the Right Thing, not for Malcolm X, not for the 25th hour. Bonkers. He really deserved this one by now. Um I think that Roma's gonna win in so many other categories and it's really easy to fall into the it's time narrative mm-hmm. for Spike Lee. That will benefit him enormously. I would have liked to have seen women nominated, like just any, any. You know, there was plenty of them. Right.
1: Um, I would have uh, definitely swapped out Adam McKay for Barry Jenkins.
0: Oh God, yes. Cause... Or Marielle Heller, or no, I wouldn't have given it to Bradley Cooper. But I, I was, I was yeah. glad Peter Frelli didn't get nominated too. Oh yeah, I think, I think that the Green Book
1: backlash. If it, if the timing had been off by maybe another week or so, I think that we would have seen even less Green
0: Book. I I, I think, think that could have happened, especially given that the the main writer behind that film is a Islamophobic Trump loving prick. Mm-hmm. I mean, and also, I think it is hard for them to escape the dynamic of that story. You know, every biopic has to go up against the question of. Artistic representation versus, you know, historical truth and all of these things. But you don't usually have that debate when the family of one of the two people involved is writing the story and the family of the other person involved are constantly going on record saying this is bullshit.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Even if the racial dynamic wasn't there, that would be hard to ignore. But it's, you know, further bullshit because how often have we seen this dynamic recreated across Hollywood and indeed history? Right. So right. I I would like Spike Lee to win it because I also think he would give a great speech. Mm-hmm. He would have no patience for any of the shit.
1: Yeah, and the year of "Do the Right Thing," when Kim Basinger was at the Oscars and she's like, "Here are the direct- nominees for director," but also you're missing Spike Lee.
0: In and that they wear
1: amazing one-shouldered gown, which is so very '80s. Anyway. Yeah. Not not just one shouldered, one sleeved. It, it, ver- it was
0: very nineteen ninety. Yeah. Best actor. Uh, I, I, we haven't done our usual reaction noises. I need you guys to start like booing and hissing and things, okay? okay. So best actor, Christian Bale for Vice. Uh,
1: oh.
0: Bradley Cooper for A Star is Born. Inevitable.
2: <laughs> I wanna boo in uh, principle, but
0: <laughs> uh Willem Dafoe for At Eternity's Gate. Sure. Uh, Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> Rami. Come and Viggo Mortensen for Green Book. Uh,
2: can Willem Dafoe please win this? Because I don't, I don't want Rami. Mal- like, I thought I liked Rami Malek, and it turns out I don't like.
0: <laughs> well, I think we all had a similar journey, which was I don't like this film. I have a lot of problems with this, but I don't. F- have a beef with Rami Malek for taking the role that kind of thing and then he's just dug his own grave consistently throughout this process but you know the spirit of Freddie Mercury was guiding him to avoid ever having to confront two decades of sexual assault allegations that made against a director first of all I I don't believe for a fucking second he didn't know I knew the rumors and I'm nobody like I've known the stories about Singer as long as I've known stories about Weinstein but I
3: mean Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Yeah, Singers,
2: I've heard, maybe it's just because I'm your friend, so I read what you tweet and everything, but I thought Singer's name has been kind of like in the air essentially since the whole Me Too wave started. Oh, God, yeah. Before. Gotcha. There before. Was, before. Um, no, I mean, like, people knew the rumors before, but in terms of, like, general audience reach.
0: Yeah. Well, Sarah Mars, who's my podcast co-host on the Hollywood Read, she wrote at Laney Gossip that when they were having the conversation after the Weinstein story came out, their immediate response was, Brian Singer's next. Like, mm-hmm. his name was on the tip of everyone's tongue. And keep in mind, he wasn't fired from Bohemian Rhapsody because of those allegations. He was fired because he was a perpetual latecomer who broke shit on set and was a nightmare to work with. So they can't even claim, you know, plausible deniability on a lot of this stuff. Also, Brian Singer was sued several years ago by an alleged victim of his which forced Brian Singer to pull out of promoting the X-Men film, Days of Future Past, which was made by 20th Century Fox. So they knew all of this shit. They've always known all this stuff. And they still gave him that job, which he set to make possibly $40, $50 million off of. So this is another reason that you, you don't award this shit, because it just perpetuates this cycle of culpability. And that's another reason I'm so pissed off at Rami Malik, because... Clearly, he has decided, I will keep my head down long enough so I can win an Oscar. Mm-hmm. But, like, is that going to be worth it? Like, at what point do you stop, like, the the, the sort of tunnel vision, single-minded determination of that? When that's, when that's done, and that, like, eight and a half pound little gold man is on your shelf, what then? Because you're going to ask answer questions about this for the rest of your career. And eventually, what he's going to do, eventually, Brian Singer will go down, Okay eventually something will happen he will end up in a courtroom and he will do the perp walk and there will be big news and eventually Rami Malik is going to have to give one of those interviews where he's photographed at his desk looking sad and gives a statement to the effect of you know obviously I stand with these alleged victims I had no idea about these stories I'm so very sorry my thoughts and prayers are with them
2: mm-hmm.
3: you
0: know that's what's going to happen and it sucks because I liked Rami.
2: But here's the thing, though. We think that, like, it's it's like your instinct is to think, yeah, Brian Singer's gonna get his, and then you know, people working with him who knew are gonna have to apologize. But there are stars, huge stars that we like, who've worked with Roman Polanski and Woody Allen. Recently, there's no pleading ignorance there, and yet, and they do go on and go, oh, I apologize, and I shouldn't. Oh, yeah, I honestly regret it. This wasn't a secret when they took the job.
0: Okay, so I am—I un- don't want to, like, write off or excuse any of the people that have done that. And I don't want to be- get into, like, a pissing contest about what what abuse or what harassment or assault outweighs others. Because it doesn't. It's all terrible and it should all be judged on the same level. But Brian Singer isn't just accused of raping underage boys. He's accused of a decades-long system of abuse manipulation... And life ruining, essentially, that is built on an industry of complicit figures and money and studio support and just all around sleaze. You know, with Weinstein, like the thing that you always heard with Weinstein is, well, you know, that some women play the casting couch game. You know, these were all women of consenting age. He, all, he didn't go after children, but Brian Singer does.
3: Mm-hmm. So
0: that makes just what I think it, the most monstrous example of this Me Too age is Brian Singer, because even people who hate women and try and write off Me Too as a sort of frivolity or whatever, but even those people know that, like, even those people are against child rape. You'd think so, but
2: all I have to say is that is Larry Nassar. 30 years and people still said, but Larry is such a good guy. There are hundreds of children out there.
0: I think I think with Brian Singer as well is a lot of people are. Comp- this is another thing is Brian Singer has benefited greatly from homophobia mm-hmm. because there are a lot of people who were afraid to say anything because they didn't want to be accused of being homophobic because oh well I don't know the gay community maybe this is a normal thing for a man to prey on young boys and men at LGBT shelters and homeless shelters and things like that. And Mark Harris wrote about this when he, when the apt pupil lawsuit happened. Brian Singer gave a quote about saying, look, as one of the few gay men in the industry, I would actually be more careful about stuff like this because I know what a stain it leaves on all of us. And he completely used that to his advantage. People, a lot of people just don't want to talk about the gay shit, to be honest. Can we move on a, a cheerier topic? Sorry. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So who do you th- who do you think will take the category? Do you think, it,
0: it oh, does... think Rami's winning it.
1: Oh, Rami's going to win it because Because it's the closest thing That anyone is going to be able to get to To giving Freddie Mercury an Oscar And that's how they're going to justify it to themselves
0: It's also the exact kind of performance level Look at this category Four of these five nominees are based on real people Mm -hmm. They love a biopic They love a transformative experience They love the idea of I think it was NPR that says they give the award to the most acting and not the best acting. Right. Right. And Rami's very good in it. I don't think it's a great performance because I think it's hard to do a truly layered performance when what you're doing is essentially impersonation. Mm -hmm. And also the teeth are too big for his mouth and it's really distracting. Yep. Um, But they love the idea of being able to point to footage of Live Aid, then point to footage of Rami Malek recreating it and see how spot on he is. To me, that's not uh, very interesting. The thing is, you know what? I would give it to Bradley Cooper. I think his performance in The Star is Born is the best thing he's ever done. Make your jokes here about the fact that it's the movie he directed himself. For me, the best male performance of last year was Ethan Hawke in First Reformed, and he's not even nominated. Mm -hmm. Right.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, the lead actor potentials and, like, I'm looking at the Golden Globes and SAGs, and the lead actor potentials are kind of like Eh. It was kind of a disappointing year for male roles.
0: Well, I think it's a disappointing year for male roles that fit an Oscar narrative. Yeah. Because well, that's the thing is all the really interesting performances weren't in those sort of films. Like, uh, I love Joaquin Phoenix and you were never really here. I love Ben Foster in Leave No Trace. Uh, the cast of The Rider, which was made up completely of non-professional actors and basically acting out their own lives. It's a stunning movie. Paul Giamatti in Private Life, which is on Netflix, and you should watch it. You know, There was always options, the, basically any of the men in If Beale Street Could Talk. Yeah. Uh, John David Washington for Black Klansmen. You know, there were always options, but acting categories, this is because actors nominate themselves, and I think that they want to nominate hard work rather than good work, mm-hmm. which is how you get shit like, Gary Oldman finally winning an Oscar for playing Winston Churchill in what is not a very good performance but it's worthy Mm
3: -hmm. or
0: Leo winning for just like three hours of self-flagellation in the snow I would out of these ones, I I haven't seen At Eternity's Gate, I wish Willem Dafoe had won last year for the Florida Project and that didn't happen because Sam Rockwell was playing his 84th racist of the year Um, Yep. Not to be
1: confused with this year's
0: 85th. Oh, yeah, he's backing up. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. The thing is, I could see them... If Bradley Cooper was willing to fight for it, I could see him winning it just based on, like, well, we'd like to give him something this year, and we'd like to avoid the controversy. But also, I think a lot of actors just sympathize with Rami Malek, and like, oh, it must have been really hard for you to work on this set, but you powered through for Freddie's spirit. And it's like, no. Ugh. That. I miss when you did weird indies and I didn't have to think about this shit. But okay, Rami?
2: Rami. I kind of feel like Bradley Cooper has it. I don't know how well liked he is in the industry. I don't want well, he's to. He's
0: very, very popular in the industry.
2: Yeah, like, I feel like Bradley Cooper has a chance, but obviously Rami Malik wouldn't surprise me because, like Raiden, I think it's the. But we're giving Freddie Mercury an Oscar feeling the vote is going to give people, so. Let's move on to Best Actress.
0: Yeah, this is slightly cheerier. So yeah. back to your cheering noises. Best actress, uh, Yalitza, Yalitza Aparicio for Roma.
1: She was amazing.
0: Uh, Glenn Close for The Wife. Yeah. Olivia Colman for The Favourite. Team Colman! <laughs> uh, Lady Gaga for A Star Is Born. She was good. And Melissa McCarthy for Can You Ever Forgive Me? She was also amazing. So here's the thing. I, I think it's a two-way I think it's a two way race mm-hmm. between Glenn Close and Olivia Coleman. I agree. Do they decide to finally give Glenn Close her Oscar which frankly she should have won by now? I, or do they that, give it to Olivia because she's very easy to like?
1: Yeah. I said on a friend's Facebook page um, when he was like Glenn Close all the way and I said Team Coleman and he's like no it's Glenn Close's turn and I said look I agree. It is a crime against the humanities that she didn't win for Dangerous sons. Oh, completely.
2: So, here's my question. You know, there's this veneer that obviously we know isn't true that, oh, well, the Oscars will reward, like, every category accordingly, but the reality is it's a big voting pool of people who may or may not see all the movies you know, and they'll just kind of vote for the actors they know or the movies they have seen. How much is Roma helped by the fact that it is a Netflix film and literally every voter has easy access to it?
0: Not as much as I think that a lot of people imagine it to be because there's still so much anti-Netflix sentiment in the Academy. Mm -hmm. But not as much as I think we were expecting just because... Aside from the favourite, Roma got the most nominations this year and they were so spread out. It has two acting nominations, which means that there is a huge swell of support in the largest demographic of voters. So I think that will help it in his Best Picture nomination, but that's not going to stop Netflix from, like, you still have to encourage people to see that movie. And frankly, a lot of Oscar voters just want the free shit.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: They want. They don't just want the squares They want the nice fancy screeners, you know, and the gifts, and they want to go to the parties and meet the cast, and they want to. I know that there was a, an exhibition where you could go to the actual sets of the, the houses and stuff in the film. You know, they want all of that, um, and Netflix are giving it to them. So I think that will help. I don't think Yelitsa is going to win. Unfortunately, the Academy is really hesitant to give debut actors things. They love an ingenue but they tend to love an ingenue who's like got a few more years in the business like the year that Alicia Vikander won her Oscar because she was in every film that year
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Wait, which one did she win for? Uh, she won for Danish Girl oh. which was like the weakest of her performances from that year
1: yeah. yeah but like Jennifer Lawrence won on her second nomination you know she was
2: 20... 22 Winter's Bone, who's seen Winter's Bone?
1: <laughs> I have, Winter's Bone is great but I think that Yalitza is in the the same sort of category that you saw Keisha Castle-Husen for Whale Rider or Kevonjane yeah. Wallace for Beast of the Southern Wild. Okay. It's a, you did great, hang around or not. We really don't care because we're Hollywood. Mm. Um, but you're not going to win. Mm-hmm. And considering this is her first acting role ever, I think she's going to be happy to be there.
0: Fair. Oh, yeah. And I think that it is good that she is nominated. It wasn't that it was unpredicted. Mm -hmm. Plenty of people were predicting it, but it wasn't a dead cert in the way that I think Glenn Close, Olivia Colman, and Lady Gaga were. Yeah. You know, for a long time, everyone thought Lady Gaga had this in the bag. Mm -hmm. And then Glenn Close won her Golden Globe. And I think that her genuine surprise and her emotion and the speech that she gave in that moment have reminded everyone, like, Oh shit, we really like Glenn Close. Right. And And she doesn't have one of these. Right. And she won the sag. Mm. And Um, she's up for the BAFTA, so. It may hurt her that The Wife is nowhere near as strong a review to film as the favourite, but then again, you know, plenty of older actors find. You give them the awesome (coughs) Iron Lady. They (coughs) have it. Iron (laughs) Lady. But also, you know, um, Christopher Plummer won for Beginners, which is a fine film, but. Not the most memorable thing he's ever done. It was just because it was time to remember that Christopher Plummer is awesome. Right. right. So I wouldn't be mad at this. I mean, I if we could go back in time and give it to her for Dangerous Liaisons, like, we, you know, she should have won it for. That would be nice. Guys, revisit Dangerous Liaisons. It holds up. She's awesome in it. So um, it does. Also, she still has every costume she's ever worn in a film. She donated them to a, um, a university. So they have her full archive of her costumes. Amazing. And also, the dress that she wears in Dangerous Liaisons, Madonna wore it at the MTV VMAs. Oh, yeah. You know the Vogue performance?
1: Oh, I do. That's a Glenn Close's dress. Nice.
0: I hope Madonna
1: realizes how honored she is. Yeah, she'd better. Right. So I would have liked to see, because I love narrative parallel, see Emily Blunt nominated for Mary Poppins. And win, because that's what Julie Andrews won for. And that would have made narrative sense to me. <laughs> but I, real life doesn't
0: follow an action.
1: Real life or... is so badly scripted.
0: <laughs> really I, I I'm surprised that Emily Blunt doesn't have a nomination yet. Because the fact that she won a SAG award. Mm-hmm. Shows that there's clearly a lot of industry love for her. And there's always been a sense that like she needed the right role just needed to come along for her. And it seemed like... It would be Mary Poppins Returns. That film is not made anywhere near as much money as I thought it would. I thought that that thing was going to be like the greatest showman and just like be such a slow burn and make money for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. And it's kind of petered out, actually. I think Aquaman sucked up a lot more air in the room than they were expecting it to, which I'm not mad at because I enjoyed Aquaman a lot. <clears throat> um, but just this idea of Disney being so indomitable and they kind of aren't. Mm-hmm. I mean, Actually, Disney made a lot of flops last year. Anyone remember uh, the Nutcracker in the Four Realms?
1: Nope.
0: Exactly.
1: Now, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Dumbo in March. Also, Tandy Dumbo- Newton's kid I, I, looks exactly like her. It's
0: very creepy. I think Dumbo's going to do fine. I think the panic is going to happen with Aladdin.
1: Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. I'm thinking Aladdin, I would imagine, is the big one because I, I like this is a little removed from me because I don't have... Like, as a kid, I didn't watch Dumbo, so I know there's, like, a lot of nostalgia and emotional sentiment for people who did grow up on it, but Aladdin, as the cartoon Aladdin was huge, right? And I feel yeah. like the narrative of how does Will Smith step into where Robin Williams left...
1: I'm not gonna lie, when I went to see Mary Poppins, which I will say that I loved, they had a preview for Aladdin, and I teared up at the at the music
0: so yeah i think that the problem with okay as like the resident guy richie apologist mm-hmm. the thing about aladdin is he's really not the right guy to be directing that like no. disney need basically workman like directors who will do what they're told and not try to jazz things up but if you're hiring guy Ritchie, you need to let him be guy Ritchie, you know yeah, Because this was one of the problems with the King Arthur movie is like it's half a Guy Ritchie movie and then it's half a major studio trying to make him do Excalibur Iron Man
3: mm-hmm.
0: and it doesn't work. So him unless he has scenes where it's just like Aladdin running through the street shouting alright Jafar you slag. It's not really going to work. We do get a sexy Jafar which I'm looking forward to but there's just something about all of the images we've seen from that film so far that seem cheap. Like the costumes look really bad yeah, and I think they stuck on Will Smith's head.
2: To be fair, when I saw the first Aquaman trailer, I thought the CGI looked horrendous, and none of the reviews—you know—it was okay. So I'll give him a chance.
0: I mean, I would like it to be good. I think that 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 movie was doomed the moment all of those set reports came out, where In which they were painting white extras to look browner. Mm. How did we get onto Guy Ritchie from Best Actress?
2: Uh, uh, we were talking about Emily Blunt and okay. Disney adaptations Emily,
0: and Aladdin. Disney, yeah, yeah. honestly, my favorite performance in this category is actually Melissa McCarthy. It's in so Can you good. Me. I don't think she's getting enough credit for the actual work of that performance. No. For those who haven't seen Can You Ever Forgive Me, Melissa McCarthy plays Lee Israel, who was a biographer, who was basically completely broken down on her luck and on the verge of homelessness. And found a way to make money by basically forging letters by famous authors so people like Dorothy Parker and Noel Coward and Fanny Brice it seems like such a low stakes kind of story that's maybe going to be a bit cute and quirky and it's actually a really layered textured kind of radically queer quiet story about the difficulties of being an artist in New York of being someone living on the fringes I could have watched an entire movie of Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant getting drunk and talking about how much they hate people. Yep. And I think that she, uh, it's directed by Marielle Heller, who's wonderful, and she's making the Mr. Rogers movie this year with Tom mm. Hanks. Oh. So start crying now, America. The yeah. interesting
2: thing about I feel this performance is that I feel like in maybe in another year, maybe in a year when Glenn Close wasn't there the comedic actor putting in a great serious turn is often a very oscar narrative so i really feel like there was there there is a time and place where this performance from melissa mccarthy would have like rode the wave of that narrative to a win i just don't know if it was this year because i don't feel like there was a wave but you know what i'm what i mean right
0: Yeah, I mean, they love it when you show that you're really worthy and an actual actor. I think with Melissa McCarthy in that film is it's a much quieter and more tender performance. She's still very much a Melissa McCarthy type. She's a very brash, abrasive woman who doesn't fit into society's norms, but still has this undercurrent of sympathy to her. Mm hmm. But there's really not any moments in that film where she like gets to stand up and scream at people in a way that you know proves that she's capital a acting and also lee israel isn't someone that a lot of people recognize so she is playing a real person but it's not really like watching rami malik play freddie mercury where you kind of have a point of analysis and they love that because um, Melissa McCarthy looks absolutely nothing like Re- Lee Israel, but that's not mm. really the point of the performance. Originally that, perform- that part was going to be played by Julianne Moore mm. Mm.
1: but like mm. thank you
0: for letting a plus size actress play a plus size woman and not like just making someone put on weight and talk about how brave they are. Yeah. Because I hate that shit Yeah. I. I, I um, but yeah, j- go see Can You Forgive Me if you haven't. I think that film got a raw deal from a lot of people and I really loved yeah. it
1: I saw it yesterday. Yesterday was Oscar catch-up day, and I saw Roma, I saw Can You Ever Forgive Me, and I saw If Beale Street Could Talk. So it was was a heavy day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) At least with with Can You Ever Forgive Me, you kind
1: of have the caustic wit. There's the caustic wit. I felt like it was fun in a darkly desperate kind of way. Oh Um, yeah, definitely. The thing that really kicks off her, this forgery thing is something that I'm going to Try and do is She needs to pay her vet bill Because her cat is sick And we'll get to Richard E. Grant Who I adore And he was Perfection in this movie It was fun And it was also Just kind of like There but for the grace of God Go a lot of people Mm.
0: Um, I I would give it to Melissa McCarthy But I don't think there's There's no one here that I'm mad at I think Lady Gaga is very good and best actress. I'm kind of exhausted by her season already. (laughs) She's committed to it, but it's very like. Right. When did A Star is Born get released?
1: Was that October?
0: October. I saw it in September, but it came out the next month.
1: Yeah, it was released in the US on October 5th. So we've had a lot of A Star is Born for a long time. It's just been going on and on and on.
0: I would have a problem with sh- with Lady Gaga winning just because Judy Garland never won for her performance. <laughs> it uh, doesn't make narrative sense! Yeah. <laughs> but Judy Garland... Like, have you ever seen the original... Not the original. The second A Star Is Born, which... Actually, watch the original. It's on YouTube because it's in the public domain. The second Star Is Born, which is the um, Judy Garland version with James Mason. So like, good. He, it was a nightmare to make. Poor Judy was just being judy like her life sucked mm-hmm. um the film got s- sliced to pieces in the editing room so it would be shorter so there's a lot of film like get the version that is as edited as closely to the original as you'll get because their other version doesn't make a whole lot of sense but there are scenes in that film where judy just kills it there's a moment where she kind of confesses to one of her friends that she hates the fact that her husband can't try harder to get over addiction and it kills her to even admit that and you're like oh god you've lived this haven't you like this is your life and this is really hard for you to talk about and it is oh and the singing the singing yeah. oh the singing. and the final <laughs> scene
2: like that i've seen that movie a couple of times thank you tcm but the hello i'm mrs norman main from judy just i sob every time
0: <laughs> it is go watch that but i mean this is because i don't hate lady gaga on a starsboard. i think she gets screwed over by the second half of that narrative When when Bradley Cooper suddenly decides he really doesn't like pop music and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense uh, and he decides he's more important to the story, he's not. He's Um, not. But the thing is, I think that Lady Gaga could one day win an Oscar for acting because clearly the thing is her doing this, and I argued this in Pajiba but her doing this really committed Oscar campaign isn't just for the benefit of the film, it is great job security for her. Mm One day, because it makes the industry realise she works hard, she's committed to this, she wants to be part of the business, and we like that. They love it when people actually like do a little bit of pandering, you know. So maybe a few years down the line, she will work with plenty of other people, and the narrative will be right, and it will be a good year for her, and she will be in the best in the category. Because she's apparently shown that she is. I have a weird thing. I don't understand how she has managed to successfully. Create this narrative of this being Her debut as an actress she'd already won a Golden Globe for acting in American Horror Story
1: Oh that's right That's I forgot about that I think a lot of people did Wow she's good
0: She still she has Acted in other films before she's acted on Television this is nothing new to her but They've kind of spun this idea that like oh I was discovered by Bradley Cooper in the same Way that Allie is in the film and like That kind of sucks but she'll be fi- She's Lady Gaga, she's fine. She's probably going to win in a, another category, so she's fine. But uh, I, I think Glenn Close will take it because do you want to upset her again?
1: Wait, well, she also did say either I win an Oscar or I win the most number of times nominated without a win. So either way, I have won a thing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: She will not oh, be ignored.
2: No. The thing about this category is I... The narrative, I want life to script, but it won't, is I want Olivia Colman to win for playing two different queens in the same year. So if she gets an Emmy next year... Well, this year. Mm-hmm. For uh, being... Because remember, listeners, she's going to be taking over for Elizabeth in Netflix's The Crown. Oh,
0: yeah. So... Yeah. Right. I think and that I also. That film-
1: think that they should just steer into the skid and cast her as the older Victoria in Victoria. When Victoria gets to that point,
2: it's like Helen Mirren and Helena Bonham Carter. You just play all the Queens until they give you an award for one.
1: (laughs) Right. Or just play all the Queens. Just check off the list. Mary, uh, Mary the first. Sure. Mathilde. Sure. Eleanor of Aquitaine. Why not?
0: Also, hasn't she, No, she's played the Queen Mother, Olivia Colman. Have uh, anyone seen Hyde Park on Hudson, which is a terrible oh, movie oh, where yeah. Bill Murray plays FDR? Uh, she does play the Queen Mother, so she's good. She's ticking them off. There we go. Um, the the thing is, if The Crown season three had premiered earlier, I think Olivia Coleman would have this in the bag, because I think there would have been a sense of like, oh well, I like her in this, and I like her in this show that I'm binge watching with my kids. Mm-hmm. So. That would fit her better i especially since glenn close has won so many important things before it would feel almost cruel to not give her the final prize yeah uh and you know that speech is going to be awesome and it will mean so much to her not that olivia coleman is bad at speech she gives good speech
3: hmm.
0: but I, i'm going to say i think glenn close yeah
2: also, I'd like to point out that, and now we're in, we've only done four categories. Man, we have a lot to say. We are <laughs> busy,
0: busy women. And, and there were
1: a whole bunch of roles other than Emily Blunt that could have fit into this category. Uh, Nicole Kidman had kind of a busy year.
0: She's is very good Destroyer, which I liked a lot, and I think got a rodeo.
1: Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was it was legitimately a good year for roles for women also
2: uh, Widows is shut out of this category
1: Widows is shut all out of She's
2: yeah. show of all of them shut
0: which sucks because that was one of my favorite films of last year and I think it got a raw, really raw deal that, that should have been a much like there should have been guarantees for that thing and there wasn't at all um, that was a big crowd pleasing film that managed to do something more with that concept and then no one went to see it and y'all screwed over Viola Davis. That is the best role she's ever had, and she's brilliant in it.
2: Alright, so Best Supporting Actor is next. You guys okay. want to make noises while I read? Yeah. For Mahershala Ali in Green Book.
0: Oh, oh bless.
1: <laughs> bless, yes, yes. <laughs>
2: Adam Driver in Black Klansman.
1: I'm for awesome. this. Sam
2: Elliott, A Star is Born.
1: He was Sam Elliott. I can't
2: get my voice deep enough to... Express
1: nobody, my feelings on that. Nobody can. <laughs> Richard
2: E. Grant, can you ever forgive me?
1: Yes.
2: And Sam Rockwell as his 25th racist in vice, as George 85th. W. Bush. 85th.
1: 85th. I'm you
2: sorry. Miss...
0: Yeah. I mean, ideally, I would give this to Richard E. Grant. Mm-hmm. He's working hard for it. He is so wonderful in that film. And he's, he's never been really join his run.
1: hmm. His his nomination season run. He's loving it. And I've he's liked him a, ever since. got a since... message from
0: Streisand. Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> I've loved him ever since the truly not good Scarlet Pimpernel series of TV movies that he's in with Elizabeth McGovern. And like it's not good and it doesn't follow the book. And it's just kind of a mess but they're both so delightful and he's having so much fun and i like him and he kills it in this movie and it's a true it's a true supporting role and not like a look i was on screen for eight and a half minutes and they finally gave me the oscar that i deserved for mrs brown
0: (laughs) it's a complete role it's a complete narrative he has great chemistry with Melissa McCarthy. Um, like I said, I could listen to hours of them just like being, you know, nihilistic about the world while drinking really cheap booze in the, the most rundown gay bars of New York. Uh, the thing is, I think Mahershala Ali is probably more likely to win it. Yeah. Similar reasons to Rami Malek, which is there's a good sympathy narrative there. And also people like Mahershala Ali. He won Ali. the SAG, so, you know. I think that also, if they are going to give Green Book any other wins, it will be weird for them not to at least acknowledge the black person in the lead role uh, who's being put into supporting because fuck everything. Also, Mahershala Ali is the only one that has really done the work of understanding why this film is so upsetting to a lot of people, including the family of Don Shirley. Yeah, He was the one that had to issue an apology. I mean, he's been really... Honestly, it's been hard to watch him this award season because he's clearly dealing with the many emotions of being, the excitement of being rewarded for your work and being celebrated, especially as a black Muslim actor. Mm -hmm. But for it being this film and this kind of role and the dynamic that it creates, while this conversation is going on, and he seems to be forced to answer more questions about it than the white director and screenwriter...
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. and also he seems to have been denied a lot of information about the role that he was taking on
2: yeah
0: that part i found a little weird
2: like so when the uh i started reading the first articles which described you know the family's reaction and all the problems with green book and there was this statement from a Herschel saying that he wasn't told there was like surviving family and he would have reached out if he knew and i just feel like it's a little i know nothing about the inner workings of the industry are making a movie, but I feel like it's weird when you are playing a historical figure who's recent, you know, like this, so people are still alive, like, lifetime-wise, and you expect what, the production company to give you a dossier of people to reach out to? You don't have your own agents or people you can say track down his brother's sister's nephew's nieces and, like, give me somebody to talk to? You don't pick up a biography and find out who, like, wrote it or who was interviewed for it? I I find it weird that he said, like, he was he wasn't told when, like, okay, but did he need to be told to go find them? I, I, I don't mean to, like, be harsh criticize him too harshly for it, but personally, I, I was a little... Taken aback by that excuse,
0: I'm willing think... to give him regular room on this because you know if you're an actor going a direct, you you should be able to trust your director. Mm-hmm. And if your director is telling you, well, here's the limited stuff we have, and there's not much else, it, your your natural instinct is not to doubt them, you know, And if he's been told there aren't any surviving family, or we we don't believe there to be any surviving family, there's really no reason for him to turn around and say, well, I don't believe you. I'm going to look that up myself. So, you know, and maybe the thing that he was focusing more on was in terms of the, you know, p- p- learning how to pretend to be a pianist. That's, you know, a whole skill in oh. and of itself. And the you know, thing: is Marshall Ali has an Oscar already. It hasn't opened up a massive amount of roles since then. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he's in the new season of True Detective. He's briefly in the, into the Spider-Verse. And he's got that Alita Battle Angel coming out. Remember that film?
1: Yeah. Hmm.
0: He is a, a dark-skinned black actor in an industry that likes to pretend that people like him don't exist. The idea to play a, a, legend, a legit civil rights hero was maybe something that he did take at face value. All right. And also, it is the kind of role that does really well for actors like him. Uh, or for actors in general. So I... I, I have some favour in that as well, but even if he didn't know I, I don't like the way that all the conversation is centred on, well let's make the black guy answer for everything, Yeah, and not the Islamophobe and the flasher because yeah, Peter Farrelly likes to flash people, guys mm. fucking hack but also, I believe if Mahershala Ali wins he will be only the second black actor to have won two Oscars
1: Does Sidney Poitier only have one? yeah Huh.
0: Oh. it would be him and Denzel yeah
1: but I just don't know. Well,
2: with with these categories, I was gonna say I like I don't know which movie or performance had like the popular wave. On the other hand, it, it, there could be a lot. You know, he won the SAG. These are like actors voting for actors, so sometimes these categories give you the performances from like the wins from the smaller movies. Like the Herschel's win would be me going, "Yep, that's expected." Other other wins, I would probably have a re- the opposite reaction. So,
1: how was some right. Rockwell
2: in Vice? Like, who cares? Is it a George Bush impersonation?
1: Yeah, that's that's the. I mean, I haven't seen Vice, and I'm not
0: going to because
1: I definitely have better things
0: to do with my time. It's a pretty small role, from what I've been told. I mean, he's really not in the film anywhere near as long as, as you know. Um, Everybody else in this category. Uh, even Donald Rumsfeld, who's played by Steve Carell. Um, but the, 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 the comment I heard a lot with his performances, it is the most overtly comedic in the film. And that would have been fil- fine if that was kind of what they were going for. But the film then goes like very broad to suddenly lecturing you on, you know, 20th, 21st century political discourse. And that's kind of a problem. It's one of the reasons that film has been so divisive. I think for a very long time, Sam Rockwell was one of those actors that people loved, but they never got a chance to recognise him officially in an Oscar capacity. So when Free Billboards comes along, it's like, that's the perfect opportunity for us to just remember how much we love him. We'll give it to him for that. Uh, and now they're just going to keep nominating him because he's now kind of part of the club. I'm looking forward to seeing him play Bob Fosse because it will be nice to see him play a non-racist for a while. I would, I would. This seemed like category filler, which was weird because also... There are other people that you could have put in this category. I would have nominated Nicholas Holt from The Mm Favourite. There was a moment where he pushes Emma Stone into a ditch that had me in stitches. Um, Just every, like, sneering fop look that he gives is brilliant. Mm -hmm. Um, Any of the men in If Beale Street Could Talk. Yep. Brian Tyree Henry, especially. Mm
3: -hmm. Uh,
0: Brian Tyree Henry in Widows. Mm -hmm. Daniel Kaluuya and Widows, scary as fuck, man. <laughs> so good in that movie. Hell, actually, a lot of the Men and Widows are awesome. I would have been cool with that. I will say, shout out to Sam Elliott, who, when he found out he was nominated, said, "Well, it's about fucking time."
1: <laughs> I appreciate honesty. I think I think I'm ready for a little sidebar. Yeah.
2: And that sidebar is, we'll nominate Black Panther because it made a ton of money, but that's it, you guys. But I'm sorry. <laughs> Denai Gurira isn't going to... Do you think she's ever going to get... That's an amazing performance that she gives as that actor. You know what? If you put... In what? In Black Panther? In Black Panther. Yeah. You know, Winston Duke as Best Supporting Actor. Like, that Michael B.
0: Jordan.
1: Michael B. Jordan,
0: definitely. He wasn't absent from the conversation.
1: You know? It's just those things where you know they're never going to
2: give them the nominations. They'll put it up grudgingly for best picture but like that movie wasn't just like it's a movie there, there were performances in it there were great performances in it
0: well i think that the best chance it would have had for an acting nomination would have been michael b jordan because mm-hmm. on top of him being great in that film and actually having an interesting character arc that marvel villains don't always get he's come he's hot shit right now you know right yep and it would have been a good... Because he's never had a nomination before. No, he should have been, been nominated yeah. for Creed. Well, it would have been yeah. good to see him be nominated for one of his Ryan Coogler collaborations. Wait, he wasn't nominated for Creed?
1: He, no. He, the only nomination Creed got was Stallone. Yeah. Holy... Shit. I know. I know. And there are so many things that Creed should have been nominated for. Sound editing... Score.
2: I think I wiped that the that indignity like, out of my mind. Like I did yeah. not remember that Creed didn't. That was the no oh Creed
1: God. has been on repeat on the Paramount Network, so I've watched it a couple of times recently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was one of those movies where you know you remember how last year Dunkirk made you go, oh this is what cinematography is. Mm-hmm. Creed made me go, oh this is what sound editing is. There's a lot of stuff that Coogler does during the fights of interweaving sound, that's incredible.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So Justice for Creed. Um, I I would love to see Michael B. Jordan come in here. I don't know who I know. Uh, Sam Rockwell actually. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's easy. <laughs> but I I would my my preference would be for my for for Richard E. Grant. I'm not going to be mad if Mahershala wins. I think that it's almost just like we sympathise with you, mm-hmm. and you know, matching Denzel's you know record is not an indignity. No.
2: I, I'll, I'll tell you this: I sympathise with Mahershala way more than with Rami Malek. These are not co- oh, comparable situations, but they're both on a very surface level, right? Like actors who kind of felt were in the awkward position of having to apologise for the role. So Mahershala is. As much as I criticized it earlier, I would—I'm still way more with him.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. And good for you, Adam Driver. Good for you.
0: Yeah, like I—I'm I'm cool with that nomination. He's very good in that film, and I think that's another one where it's like we—we we had a chance to finally nominate him because mm-hmm. Adam Driver typically does much more esoteric indie films. That aren't and Star necessarily... Wars, and and well, also, you know. But in terms of, like, Oscar stories, you know, he makes films with people like Jim Jarmusch. uh, And he's making a zombie movie with Jim Jarmusch, actually. The thing Um, is,
2: I feel like Adam Driver is lucky. Well, maybe he's not lucky. Maybe it was killed. But being Kylo Ren, especially after that second movie, can swallow up all the oxygen in your career. Because... Like there are a lot of actors for whom it would have just been, ha, you're that guy who went topless for that scene in the Last Jedi, mm-hmm. right? And I feel like for him to now have this nomination, and you know, he he's made sure that that Kylo Ren isn't on his tombstone. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
0: I mean, he's a fascinating actor in general. He was a marine and then decided to go to Juilliard, uh, like you do, uh, and then. Built up this incredible reputation of working Where people like Noah Baumbach and Jim Jarmusch And all these really experimental filmmakers And also Lena Dunham And has I think become such a reliable figure now That they can't help but want to support that I think he will eventually win something in the future When the right kind of project comes along Apparently he's got a couple of films at Sundance Are doing very well But I really want Richard E. Grant to get his Jews man
1: Yeah Shall we move on to Best Supporting Actress? Let's Alright I'll read them Amy Adams in Vice
2: That movie has everyone
1: Yeah Marina de Tavira In Roma This was an
0: exciting nomination This was the big acting surprise nomination of the morning I think
1: Regina King if Beale Street could talk She's gonna win it I don't know Emma Stone the favorite In
0: one corner In the other corner Rachel Vice in the favorite okay here's the thing i I technically think rachel like here's the thing the three women of the favorite have relatively equal screen time between them Mm
1: -hmm. so
0: having olivia Coleman be the lead and the other two be the supportings is kind of strange to me because i think that the actress who should have that lead is is uh, rachel vice
1: uh-huh
0: i think the narrative is somewhat more central on her and her narrative and her you know fall from grace and power mm-hmm. i think that's kind of the glue that holds it together and also she's brilliant in that movie she already has an oscar so does emma stone yeah amy adams famously does not but they're not going to give it to her for a role that people don't seem all that excited about her in she's such a wonderful actress one of the best we have and has done much better work and more rewarding work i think regina king is going to win it because she's beloved Mm-hmm. The industry loves her. She's a standout in a very rich ensemble in If Beale Street Could Talk. And that's funny. So if you look at her like line, her filmography and everything she's been in, she works hard and consistently and they love having the chance to reward that kind of thing. And if you look at the amount of times that she's won Emmys, often when people never predicted she'd win Emmys and it's because people love her that much.
1: True. However, she was not nominated for the SAG and she is not nominated for the BAFTA.
0: That is true, but I don't think that is necessarily going to hurt. The thing is, who, who do you give it to? Because the, the favourite women could could split the vote between mm-hmm. them, and that tends to benefit someone who's not in that film. And the thing is, the people that won Emily Blunt won the SAG for a Quiet Place, so it wasn't like the prize went to someone who On was this actually list. nominated. True. Yeah, so I think that also benefits Regina. I think if
1: we see a surprise, I think it'll be here, but I don't know what direction that surprise is going to go in. That's Wouldn't my make guess. Makes
0: sense, but I would hope that they would understand that Regina King deserves this. I would like Amy Adams to win an Oscar, but like her time will come. Her she time will, will come. She, she... she will get her Leo narrative. Right,
1: right. But this is also her sixth nomination.
0: She's a better actress than Leo is ever actor, but she'll get her role. It will be the right narrative at the right time. I'm sad that it's taking this long for me. I I would have given it to her for, for the master, or mm-hmm. oh god, Arrival, which she wasn't even nominated for. But that's the thing is they never tend they never give it to the act the um, film that they deserve to win it for.
2: Mm-hmm. No, it's always catch
1: up. Mm-hmm.
0: So I, I I think Regina's winning it.
1: Who she was incredible. I mean, everyone in Beale Street was incredible. And the fact that that's not nominated for cinematography is also a crime against the humanities.
2: I don't know that I'd be that shocked if Amy Adams took it for being Amy Adams.
0: There's no real like she hasn't really won any precursor awards for that's the thing. There's no real buzz or build up behind her. It's just like oh, it's nice that you're here.
2: Well, what do I know? <laughs> Alright. The next one is Best Original Screenplay. Uh that's is that first reformed
0: only nomination? Yeah. Mm, it is yeah. also the only time that Paul Schrader has ever been nominated for an Oscar. He wasn't nominated for Taxi Driver.
1: Wow.
2: That's bonkers to me. <laughs> so the actual c- category is The Favorite, First Reformed, Green Book, Roma and Vice and I think I would I thought Green Book would go into adapted even though it's not really based on a book so much as it's on real life but I guess that doesn't
0: count
1: <laughs> no previously published is yeah. the
0: mm-hmm. I, I think Green Book's chances have died off a little bit I would give it to the favorite I think it's the most complete work I mean actually I would give it to First Reformed but in terms of ones that I think actually have a chance of winning
3: mm-hmm.
0: I give it to the favorite but I, I thought First Reformed was was fucking brilliant last year Um, I'm sad that more people aren't talking about it it's not an easy watch that may be why it's such a sort of putting for a lot of people. It is a film all about how American capitalism and Republicans have basically bastardized um, the Christian faith beyond recognition. And maybe we should blow up a few things to fix that.
2: I support it. You know, it's not surprising to me, but a thought I'm having on this category is the weirdness and like the inconsistency of the recognitions. Like, uh, so Cold War isn't for Best Director, so they think. Pavlikovsky did a good job of making this movie about kind of loosely based on his parents' life, but they don't think it was written well enough to be an original screenplay. You know what I mean? Like I, I just feel like surely some nomination. It's I know it's like the best of five, and we only have five slots and all that. But it, sometimes you look at it like this movie just stands alone in one category. You what? None of the other things about it were worth nominating.
1: Right, but most of these people are going to have seen it with subtitles, so they'd be rating the translation as well? Although,
2: but surely there's more to rating a Like, it's not just about the text, it's also about the pacing, and, well, although that editing, best editing goes that, into that as yeah. well. Yeah, like, it's hard, it's not like a book where it it's all in the page, but still, I don't know, maybe you're right. I, th-
1: I think that's a legit thing to kind of... Wait, was Roma not with subtitles though? Roma was with subtitles, and uh, according to TV tropes, there was some <clears throat> controversy in Spain uh, because they were subtitled with Spanish, with European Spanish, mm-hmm. to try and translate the extremely idiomatic Mexican Spanish. Right. And Kuran uh, did not like that. Anyway, it was a thought. I don't know. Polish is hard.
0: Well, this is the thing. is The Oscars, by and large, love to pretend that foreign language films don't exist, that animated films don't exist, that documentaries don't exist, except in their own little categories. Right. So Roma doing as well as it has is a minor miracle. Cold War having three nominations is a surprise. But, you know, even then... Into the Spider-Verse was one of the best-reviewed films in 2018, and it is in one category. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just, unfortunately, bullshit that they continue to adhere to, because they think that it means something, and it doesn't really. Which is just, that's something is you just find yourself exhausted by the inevitability of these conversations. It's just like, oh god, they're going to suck again, aren't they? Um, and they don't have to suck, because there are plenty of options here for them to not suck. You know? I also just want to mention that in both screenplay categories, of the ten nominated projects, women account for a grand total of two. Mm-hmm. Which is for The Favourite and Can You Ever Forgive Me, which are also co-written by men.
2: The the best adapted, since I didn't read it out, is The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Which is based um, on Jack London short stories, uh, Stuart Edward White work and the short stories by the Coen Brothers black clansman which is based on a book can you ever forgive me based on lee israel's memoir i guess yeah. yeah uh if beale street could talk based on a book and a star is born based on the previous movie's screenplays and going back to the original story i think it was a play first then the 30s movie
0: so the original 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 star What price born. hollywood right is that there is a 1920s pre-code Hollywood film called What Price Hollywood? Which was written by Adela Rogers St. John who was this kind of like the original gossip columnist of golden age Hollywood. And it was originally intended as this sort of like cautionary tale, which was one of those things that Adela Rogers St. John wrote a lot of. The idea of, you know, Oh, Hollywood is the city of dreams, but actually it's darkness, which was very popular in the early 30s when, the, you know, just before the Hays Code takes effect. Mm-hmm. Then David O'Selznick wanted to make another version of the film called A Star is Born because he produced What Place Hollywood and wanted George Cukor to direct it again. And he said, Isn't this just kind of a ripoff of the other version? I'm not sure I want to direct that. It's just so similar. So he didn't. But then George Cukor directed the Judy Garland *Star Is Born*, and then they made one in the '70s with Frank Pearson, which starred Barbara Streisand, and is a glorious hot mess. <laughs> Isn't that the one where she,
2: like, her new husband was like his first time? She's like, he's going to direct me in this. Or
0: Streisand's boyfriend at the time was the Hollywood hairdresser John Peters. Right, the
2: the Superman wears underwear guy. Yeah, yeah. The
0: who then became a major Hollywood executive, although seems to have mostly been. A producer in name only, but he, if you've ever heard Kevin Smith's story about getting to write Superman, and the guy that says he has to fight a giant spider in the third act, that's John Pierce.
2: Right. Sure. And uh, and it's the for the for those who haven't seen the earlier Hollywood ones, uh, the seventies with uh, Barbara Streisand is the version that that moves it out of the movie business into the singing, into the music business.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. And the original script was written by Joan Didion so in the adapted who do you
2: think do you think a star is born is taking the adapted
1: no. no no I think I think they will grudgingly give it to if Beale Street could talk hmm.
0: I would like them to give it to if Beale Street could talk yeah. I would
1: also like them to give it to can you ever forgive me and oh like, god
0: that would be beautiful
1: give them both and not do original <laughs> fair
0: <laughs> I, I think that this is a possibility for A Star Wars Born just because I'm not sure where else they went other than Song but Barry Jenkins is also very popular and Beale Street hasn't been widely seen but the people who have seen it are sort of adoring of it there isn't anyone here that I'd be massively like angry about I'm a bit perplexed that the Battle of Buster Scruggs has kind of done as well as it has because it was a Netflix movie. Mm-hmm. It is the Coen Brothers and it's a very Coen Brothers y movie, but it's nowhere near their strongest. It wasn't even the best Western of last year. That was The Sisters Brothers, and I'm sad that none of you people saw that movie. And I wouldn't be mad at Black Clansman there, but I think that they're going to save that for director.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So I, I, I'm going to say Star is Born because Bradley Cooper's very, very still face needs something to smile about. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And then the next category is the one Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse will win.
0: Yep. I hope so. This is the thing is, this is a category where voters tend to get very lazy Mm -hmm. and just vote for the Disney or Pixar movie. But the Spider-Verse is so very easy to love.
2: Mm -hmm. So good.
0: And there just seems to be more genuine passion for that than either Incredibles 2 or Ralph Breaks the Internet. Incredibles 2 made a shit ton of money, made over a billion dollars worldwide, but it's nowhere near as good as the first film. And it's, yeah, no, it's, been it's been a while
2: been... where Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse is in recent memory and conversation.
0: Yeah. It's fresh.
2: Mm-hmm. And then in Best Foreign Language, uh, Cold War and Roma are in this. Roma is in both Best and Best Foreign. And I feel like they might give it to Roma here. Like if they liked it enough for it to go into Best, they're not going to give it to Rom- Roma there. But I think they'll give it to Roma here.
0: I'm torn between this because I think if they want to give Rome a best picture and I very well think that they could, it would seem weird to give it that and best foreign language film, but would also be a really good opportunity to award Cold War, Mm
1: -hmm. which there's
0: clearly a lot of passion for. I'd give it to Shoplifters, which is Japan's entry, which is directed by Hirokazu Koreeda and was just, I saw it at Toronto and it was, oh, so beautiful. It's a slice of life drama about a very poverty stricken Japanese family who rely on shoplifting to kind of cope with the poverty and they find this young girl who's basically being neglected by her family and they bring her into their lives and then as this narrative unfolds you get to see how this family stick together and how they're actually there's there's things going on beneath the surface that others don't know about it's a beautifully composed film it made me very very teary it's not inaccessible. Like I think, even if you don't watch a lot of Japanese films, you can sit down and watch this and get it. Um, it's, but I think that's the the buzz. I think is between Roma and Cold War, just because they are so much more represented across the categories.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Hey, there's actually a, fi- a category. There's actually a film in this category written and directed by a woman. That's nice. Uh, I was surprised that South Korea's entry, Burning, did not get nominated. South Korea has never been nominated. For best foreign language film, huh? huh. Yeah. Which, given the, the the like incredibly rich history of South Korean cinema, is very surprising. And that film was beloved, and it stars Stephen Yin from The Walking Dead. Comes out in the UK next week. I'm excited. I I'd give it to Shoplifters. I think Cold War is going to take it.
2: Right. All right, Kaylee. I feel like this is you because documentaries. <laughs> Free solo. Yes. <laughs> hail- con-
0: Hale County.
2: This morning. This evening. Uh, minding the Gap of Fathers and Sons
1: and RBG.
0: How well, is, is a great year for documentaries.
1: How is Won't You Be My Neighbor? Not here.
0: To me, that was one of the big surprises of the morning, just because it was winning all the precursor awards, and it's it had that narrative of it's the film we need right now. Yeah. Surrounding it, um, I think that that buzz that like the film of the moment drive ended up going to the RBG documentary. Mm -hmm. because I think we need everything we can to keep Ruth Bader Ginsburg alive and this seems like a good way to maybe encourage that you'll you'll see the Mr. Rogers stuff next year because Tom Hanks is playing him in a movie that's going to be fine (laughs) but it was such a great year for documentaries and the stuff that didn't even get nominated you know, Won't You Be My Neighbour being one of them Sharkers, which is on Netflix which was one of my favourite documentaries of the year uh, McQueen, the documentary about Alexander McQueen which I also loved but this is a really competitive category this year I think it will be between RBG and Free Solo. Mm -hmm. Free Solo is a documentary about a free solo climber, someone who climbs without ropes and assistance, who wants to scale El Capitan. And The documentary is as much about watching him accomplish that climb as it is the filmmakers having an ethical discussion about whether or not it is okay for them to do this. Mm -hmm. There are scenes of cameramen vomiting as they are trying to climb this thing and finding ways to film him without interrupting him and you realise actually how morally questionable a lot of this is but you're also awestruck and made really ill by it mm-hmm. I have a friend who saw the documentary on IMAX and oh, said god. That it was genuinely terrifying oh god oh yeah so I think that's the thing is they love a big showy documentary and they love ones that are also like encouraging and I think that that would benefit RBG, but I think if they want something that feels like an event, and also made a crap ton of money, which these these films don't often do, then Free Solo.
2: The thing about RBGs, I keep thinking of what Raiden said earlier, where like you know the Freddie. This is the closest you give an Oscar to Freddie Mercury, and I feel like this is the vote, which is kind of like giving an Oscar to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So that's why I could see RBG taking it.
0: mm <laughs> Hmm. It wouldn't be undeserved. I think that it's tough to be mad at a film about someone that so many people love and has become such a cultural icon. And it's also, like, a really warm viewing experience in the same way that Won't You Be My Neighbour was. I think Won't You Be My Neighbour was more, like, sob-inducing from what I heard from American Friends. Mr. Rogers doesn't really mean anything to Brits, so... But I'd give it to Free Solo, but also... I've heard Minding the Gap is brilliant. I haven't seen it because it's a Hulu documentary and it hasn't had a release here. Um, but people I know who saw that said that it was flawless.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I'll just ask straight out. Have you guys seen any of the short subject best docs? No. No. Nope. So like, I don't want us to... We can read them out, but our listeners can just find the nominations themselves. Uh, any of the best live action short films? Nope. No. No. <laughs> Um, the only animated one is that I saw was Bao because it was, it's one of those that airs before the. What did it air in front? Of? Oh, Incredibles two.
1: Incredibles, yeah, yeah. I thought that the, the conversation among, Asian Americans especially, or children of Asian immigrants about that short, was really fascinating. I mean, like the white people going, I don't get it. I don't understand. This is bad because I don't understand it. That was boring. Uh, but the discussion among children of immigrants and what that short meant to them was fascinating.
2: I don't know if it's coincidence, but not one, but two bow shops opened in my little neighborhoods and stuff. Since that came out. And also, two of the best animated shorts are set in Toronto, Bow and Weekends.
0: Mm-hmm. Isn't it nice when things are actually sent in Toronto and not just filmed there at stand in for New York? Right. I was say when I was in Toronto, I was walking around realizing, this is why people film New York stuff here. Because there's like big buildings everywhere. There's big buildings and tax breaks. Go on. We don't have buildings like that in Scotland. It was a very exciting experience for me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, best original score. I think that this one, um, there will be some passionate discussions. Black Panther. Black Klansman, If Beale Street Could Talk, Isle of Dogs, and Mary Poppins Returns.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, if Mary Poppins can't win musical categories, you know, it's, it's even without, like, see, like, if you think it's a Disney movie, it's like a Disney musical, it was beloved, and they're making a new one, and I'm, Mark Shaman is the one who has this award, so it's, it's not, it's not Lynn manuel Miranda, but... If Mary Poppins is not winning the music categories, is that a bad look for it?
1: No, not necessarily. I thought the the score for Mary Poppins was fine. The score for Beale Street was gorgeous.
0: I, I think Beale Street could have a good one here because it is such a beautiful score. It wouldn't be bad to give it to Black Klansman. Terrence Blanchard has done all of Spike Lee's scores since I think about Jungle Fever. Mm-hmm. So close to thirty years, and he's never been nominated before either. Um, this is something is usually these these categories are filled out with big names that have won tons of times before. I mean, Alexander Desplat has won a couple times before. I don't think he'll win here, but otherwise, it's actually pretty varied in a way that feels kind of unexpected.
3: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: I think original song is a more interesting category because I think the winner is more obvious there. But there is also stuff there that I wouldn't be mad about. Yeah. Uh, For best original song, by the way, it's All the Stars from Black Panther, which is the Kendrick Lamar number. I'll Fight from RBG, which is by Diane Warren and is sung by Jennifer Hudson. The Place Where Lost Things Go from Mary Poppins Returns. Not the best song from that movie. Go on. Uh, Shallow from A Star Is Born. And When a Cowboy Trades His Spurs for Wings from the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. For Buster Scruggs, like, the first part of that movie is the Ballad of Buster Scruggs itself. And it's Tim Blake Nelson as this singing cowboy who's also, like, an expert murderer who (laughs) sings all these songs. But there is a song in it called Surly Joe, which is basically a song that, like, a, a joyful bar jig that he sings after brutally shooting a man in the face with his own gun. And I thought that that song was much funnier. I'm going to it's good to see a, film, a song like that nominated. I was surprised that the, the song from Into the Spider-Verse didn't get nominated. Mm. But I think Shallow's got this in the bag. Right, like this yeah. is Lady
2: Gaga's loose, right? Pretty much.
0: Yeah. And also, like, that song has been inescapable for several months.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have uh, put in Trip in the Light Fantastic from Mary Poppins instead of The Place Where Lost Things Go. Because that song was way more fun and much less maudlin. I want to
2: skip a couple of categories. We'll return to cinematography. But I want to talk about production design and costume design.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Because... Oh, I have thoughts on costume
1: design. Like, I think... I don't think Black Panther will take it, but it should. It should. I think it has a legitimate chance. Because I remember
2: reading about the costume design. And I feel like Black Panther, to people who who just kind of know about the movie and don't read like all the things around it, it's one of those, oh well it's a superhero thing and they put like people in spandex, you know in suits and they had stuff and ran around, but like when you actually read what the costume designer did to incorporate Africa into this into the Afrofuturist you know, setting of Black Panther, like I just think it, there was, there was work and that work deserves rewarding
1: Yes, Sandy Powell is a genius we know this she has three academy awards what she did with the favorite and what she did with mary poppins returns was incredible but also she's going to split her own vote and she already has three i mary think Rupert of- is gonna win it i hope so i but hope you're way, right she's
0: had a year of buzz she's also another industry legend
1: mm-hmm.
0: she's been working with spielberg and spike lee and all of these people for a very long time i mean the work that she did with Spike Lee was literally iconic and it helped define a whole generation of like young black American men's fashion. Uh, right. But like you guys all said about Black Panther, she's basically had to invent an entire millennial-long lineage of a mm-hmm. fictional country through fashion. And the work in that film is just so detailed. I think this is the thing is, if the woman who designed the costumes for Mad Max Fury Road can get an Oscar, why not Ruth Carter?
1: Legit. I know they
0: tend to go a little more, they love a traditional period drama, but there's a, lot of, there's a lot of Black Cat Panther that feels almost like period drama clothing. <sighs> right. Because and there also, is no word
2: for optimism in Russian, Kaylee.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and also, you that on a t-shirt or something already?
2: <laughs> yes. CW would sue me.
1: <laughs> we'll misspell optimism or put us asterisk and on the back go, yes, there is. It's whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, the costumes for Mary, Queen of Scots were trash. And Frock Flicks goes in on this. But Alexandra Byrne deciding that her vision is, what if if it's like all denim and shit? And while Sandy Powell uses denim in The Favourite, she does it in a very specific way. Sandy Powell knew exactly what she was doing. She had a limited budget and limited time and used incredibly well done period aesthetics and silhouettes and forms for the dresses and made it out of modern materials because it was cheaper and faster and she had what like six weeks to clothe everybody and Alexander Byrne is like what if I make an Elizabethan gown out of denim wouldn't that be awesome no it's not awesome it looks like trash fuck you
0: Oof. Also, so, she, are she you still on the fence to- about her hmm <laughs> also she uses machine rib knit chenille go on I wouldn't be mad to see Mary's Offers win for Buster Scruggs just because once again it's an example of a figure in the industry who has formed a really striking and creatively satisfying partnership with a filmmaker she's been with the Coen brothers since Fargo mm-hmm. um, she made all the costumes for True Grit and No Country for Old Men and Hail Caesar she was famously okay. nominated for the costumes in La La Land I wouldn't be mad at this I, I think that Rufi Carter would be the most deserving winner and I think it would be silly of them not to give it to her I agree they really have no excuse
2: Right. And it, we could have a worse rage at this like the that not Keirtha, that Robin Hood movie with Taron Egerton could have been nominated for its Hot Topic jackets I haven't seen that yet i'm just saying worst things could happen production design is not, um sometimes these categories like they're they're kind of related they're not always not all these don't have the same nominees this year so production design has first man in it it's also black panther the favorite mary poppins returns and roma
1: i mean these i did not see first man cuz i don't have time for that shit these were all really done i think one of the things the favorite did that was really quite incredible was all of the lighting was done by candle and fire. Oh. They didn't do, they, they didn't use lights. That must night. be a
2: nightmare to film in.
1: It was a nightmare to film in. It was also since they were shooting in a historic house, <laughs> they needed to be really careful about wax strips on the 500 year old tables right. Oof. <laughs> it made the national trust very anxious
2: <laughs> and in best cinematography we have the nominate the black and white movies because that's art mm-hmm. so Cold War and Roma also the favorite Never Look Away and A Star is Born
0: I think Roma wins here I think Roma does win here it's beautifully filmed and also its they love it when directors do their own cinematography it's true it's it's a little bit funny uh, in that three of these
2: are also three from the best foreign category. <laughs> never look away being the German entry into the best mm-hmm.
0: foreign. I, I That was the, the nomination that surprised me. And then I realized that Caleb Deschanel direct, uh, did the cinematography on that. And he is beloved in the industry and has also never won before. So, you know, they just keep nominating him until he'll eventually win.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Only three in best makeup. There's only ever three. Is
1: there? Oh, yeah. We have this discussion every year, uh, and we'll have it next year, I'm
2: sure. Yeah. Uh, Mary Queen of Scots for what? For that wig? No, for uh, the smallpox pustules. Uh huh. Vice for the prosthetics, but yep. not for Freddie Mercury's teeth. No, we here we have Border, which is a swe- Swedish, Swedish movie that I've Swedish movie. He- heard about this week because the this had Oscar buzz um, episode mentioned it. It's a kind of fairy well it's a fairy tale
1: tale fantasy fantasy film it's it's about a woman who is shall we say aesthetically challenged yeah Um, who's working as a border guard in a small town in Sweden and she can smell when people have contraband and things go from there I've read the Wikipedia summary I don't want to spoil it for anybody who doesn't no, what's up? Um my guess was wrong. But I really want to see it.
0: Yeah, I want to see this as well because reading the con- like reading the plot description, I think I read it on IMDb he's like I'm in. I'm into this. Yeah. Uh oh, Sweden, you magnificent bastards.
2: Yeah, pretty much. I've read the Wikipedia summary and I don't want to see it because I don't think I want to see the subject matter that it touches on.
1: Well, there is that.
2: Because I saw that and I was like, "Oh god, Europe, can we
0: what Right. Well, that's uh, in fairness, that's a very like European film kind of thing. Oh yeah, um, oh yeah. If if it was more full of despair, I feel you'd feel at home. If there was more, you know, seaside towns of vodka, we can make that happen.
2: Did we not have this discussion over Cold War where I said the the? Yes,
0: you said it was. Um, it was too much Russian despair for you, or Soviet despair. So yeah, filled with
2: Soviet despair. i <laughs> like pass. I like Soviet-era black comedies. Like uh, My favorite, favorite movie uh, is called The Garage. I mean, I'm translating into English. And it's kind of about the, the breakdown in Soviet-era bureaucracy on a small scale when people are locked in a room overnight. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic movie. We haven't really. Well, I skipped over sound editing, film editing, visual effects, sound mixing. By the way, no Black Panther and visual effects. There's solo Avengers, Christopher Robin, First Man, and Ready Player One.
0: Well, neither Black Panther or Aquaman were even on the long list, as far as I remember.
2: Huh. Interesting. Hmm. Well, I'll ask you a summarizing question.
0: For the
2: things that you wanted to be nominated and that weren't at all, how mad are you about it?
1: Kaylee? Hugh Grant? Paddington? I mean, I knew it wasn't going to happen, but I really wanted it to happen. I think...
0: We were owed it. We deserved it. I think we
1: all forgot. I mean, a lot of people forgot that that movie came out in the qualifying year in the US. Like, I didn't realize that it was still eligible here. So there's that, but also it wasn't going to happen. But also, damn... (laughs)
2: And I did have a discussion. Raiden and I talked a little bit about it in the pre-podcast and then Kaylee joined. And so Netflix, for movies like Roma, it has to release them into theaters for them to qualify. And I'm wondering, and I, you know, if they don't, it's not a TV movie, but it's, I guess, kind of more of a TV movie than than Academy movie. But how many years... Do you think we have left where the academy is still forcing all these streaming services with their original content to put movies into theaters just to qualify for this like is the academy because like, it's starting to lag behind how we consume movies right the
0: thing is I, I, my problem with the netflix question is I feel like eventually, with media monopolies going the way that we, they are, we are going to have two options in life. You're going to have Disney and you're going to have Netflix. My life has already changed dramatically in terms of how I consume pop culture because of Netflix, whether I want to admit it or not. Mm-hmm. And it's good that Netflix have so much interesting content are putting money into auteur-driven indie dramas, even if they don't give them all of that much attention on their site. They actually did for Roma, which was a mild miracle. Um, mm-hmm. They don't always do that though. The Academy is going to eventually have to deal with this change, because and that's also just an exemplification of everything the Academy kind of refuses to get with the times on, be it superhero or blockbuster films or animation or particular kinds of performances or particular styles of direction or narratives that aren't constantly dominated by cisgender, heterosexual white people. You know, it's all cut from the same cloth. But it's easier to make Netflix out to be this enemy, partly because Netflix kind of make it quite easy. I really don't like this narrative of Netflix being, like, the scrappy underdogs of Hollywood. Because I hated it when Amazon did it, too. Mm -hmm. And Amazon is another streaming service that has original content. And didn't have as great a year this year as they have for previous years. But they've definitely, you know, they are not out of this conversation either. Mm Mm-hmm. The Oscars, we've always said this, the Oscars have nothing to do with merit. It is all about how the industry wants to present itself to the world and notions of prestige that it wants to foster. And I think for a lot of people there is something about the accessibility Roma that makes it feel less prestigious, which sucks and is elitist as all hell. And I think that the change will eventually happen, but it is as with all things in the industry, this change will be incremental and it will not go as fast as we want it to. Hmm. maybe roma breaking through will be a, a watershed moment but we've seen watershed moments happen before that haven't led to anything so right. i stopped being hopeful about the oscars a long time ago guys
2: fair all right is there anything about the baftas because the the baftas are happening in Next a week, week. Yeah, yeah in a week kaylee any buzz or anything you're looking forward to
0: No, I think that the the BAFTAs basically decided that they wanted to be part of the Oscars narrative and have become staggeringly less interesting as a result. And also, the domination of Bohemian Rhapsody is giving me fucking hives. So, no, I prefer to look at old BAFTA ceremonies where they did shit Mm. like nominate Eddie Murphy for Shrek for Best Supporting Actor, or the year that they gave it to Bill Nye for Love Actually. Like the the Oscars used to, be, the, the BAFTAs used to be so much more interesting when they didn't give a crap about being part of the narrative, but now they care too much. And also, I hate that they do what the Oscars are now going to be doing with their ceremony, where they cut out the technical stuff and do it like an also ran montage at the end. Mhm. I'm I'm looking at the
1: best documentary list for the the BAFTAs, and. They have McQueen. They also have They Shall Not Grow Old by Peter Jackson. Which is the taking film from World War I and colorizing it. Uh, which I think is, is an interesting choice. The well, it's not
0: just colorizing it. It is correcting the frame rate so that it plays more smoothly. It's adding dialogue. Yeah. It is trying to create a richer portrait. I have a problem with the colorizing because I don't think we're there with human skin tone yet. Mm-hmm. It still just looks peachy. Everyone has the same tone of skin, and that's just not how humans work. I think it's an interesting experiment. I would much rather Peter Jackson just restore old cinema with his money and not colorize it.
2: They also have Three Identical Strangers, which is a documentary I have heard about and a story that fascinated me when the documentary you know people started talking about the documentary this is the one about uh an adoption agency that tried to run a social experiments by placing identical twins and triplets in different in families with different wealth levels what the
0: it fuck? is oh it's a completely fucked up story And that documentary also did very well i think that was another one people were surprised didn't make it in uh but i that i know a lot of people who saw that movie and were sort of it plays out like a really exciting feel-good drama for the first 30 minutes, and then it turns into this horrifying thriller.
2: Right. <laughs> the, here's the the craziest detail, that after I found out about the documentary, and I looked up the story, and I started reading like articles about it, and one of the articles says that The wildest thing is when when the three brothers, right, I think it was the who connected and were like, oh, my God, it turns out we got split at birth isn't, you know, and then their families went to the adoption agency adoption agency was like, oh, we're so sorry, like this mix up and whatnot. And essentially, they got away with it, quote, unquote, until one of the family members or lawyers or something forgot like an umbrella in the office and came back to them toasting how they got away with it. Oh, my God. And it turns out they've done it to multiple sets of, you know, identical siblings. And they thought, well, we'll place one with, like, wealthy family and one with a middle class and one with, like, blue collar, And then they see what they make of themselves, seeing as how they have identical DNA.
0: It is old-school eugenics right there. And it's horrifying. Wow.
2: Like, this is is, is one of those, when you hear the story, like, this is a documentary I'd love to watch because it sounds fascinating
1: uh, okay just watch tell me where can I see this identical.
0: it might be on Hulu in America
1: uh, it looks like no I can rent it from Amazon okay well then all right. And I
2: guess one more wrap up question. Given the actual shit show that the Academy Award that hasn't even happened yet has already been, how do you think it'll... Okay. First of all, do you think people will tune in just out of morbid curiosity?
0: No. No. The, the Academy are trying to appeal to an audience that doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, and they're shitting on the people who actually do watch every year. It will eventually. And the thing is, I kind of hope that the show does fail this year. Because if it even has a slight climb in ratings, they'll take this as proof that their stupidity is working. Uh, and it will just continue to degrade the show. And it's the whole point of it even further. I've been arguing on Pajiba that they should give the show to Netflix. Because, yeah, you'll miss out on the fun of live tweeting the Oscars. But at least you'll actually, like, get to see the Oscars. Mm. And,
2: you know, the fun of live tweeting. Like, Netflix could. <sighs> air it in such a way where there's like one time where it's like this is your hashtag life tweet and the rest of the day you watch. you know what i mean like netflix could still make it happen as a life but tweet apparently
0: event. they have the like the provisions to make a streaming platform into a live one is not that difficult it would certainly require a lot of logistical issues but it isn't out of the realm of possibility I mean, that's the thing is they've got such a sway over the way that we even consume films now that it wouldn't be impossible. No. Um, that's the thing is, if you put it on Netflix as well, think of all the other stuff that you could add on to it. Like, think of, you know, all those roundtables that you see leading up to it where they talk to actors that are nominated and up for the race. Like, have stuff like that on Netflix. Have old Oscar ceremonies on Netflix to watch. Oh. Like, I would I would love that kind of stuff. You know, create more of a build-up about it. When an,
2: when a person wins, your Netflix overlay pops up all the movies that are in the Netflix library that these people have worked on.
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, yes. there are so many options. Right. <clears throat> Call us. We know things.
2: <laughs> all right, so the actual uh, date uh, is February 24th. No host. We actually don't know how many songs we think maybe I'll five nope.
0: They are all um, on now. They're all on now. But they'll all be like about ninety seconds long.
2: Uh, honestly, the no host thing I'm so fine with because I with these ceremonies or at least the last few years, it's always okay. The the opening number and slash monologue is great. It's funny. It's whatever. And then the host disappears, and then they try to do awkward skits a couple of times through the runtime, and that's it. Like, why even have a host when you have presenters for every category? Just have somebody produce an opening number, and that's it.
0: Yeah, I I think you just have a big opening number and then just have people present the awards themselves.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: That's the thing, because that was one of the things that really bugs me about the BAFTAs. I don't get to see who wins best cinematography or best foreign language film, but I get a 10-minute opening skit from Stephen Fry. I don't care. Okay? Just let us actually watch the fucking show Mm -hmm. like
2: with the Oscars last year we don't have time for like extra categories but we can take 20 minutes to troop into like this other theatre with tourists
0: and t-shirt guns and what
2: like why am I watching this
0: look at these plebs as they get to hang out with the real celebrities look at how special it is for them like I hate that I really do so this
1: has been episode 70 We'll be back at some point in the future to talk about something else. We've slowed down on how often we record because we're all pretty busy. (laughs) Especially (laughs) Kaylee. We Uh, have things to
2: do. Kaylee, do you want to plug your new podcast? You've mentioned the Hollywood Read, but you haven't actually taken a moment uh, to talk about it.
0: The Hollywood Read is an Industry, celebrity, pop culture, general podcast hosted by me and Sarah Mars from Laney Gossip. Um, we try and cover as wide a range of topics as possible pertaining to the entertainment industry, specifically Hollywood. Uh, last week, our episode was on Brian Singer. We've done much happier episodes. We did one on Gerard Butler. We've talked, obviously, a lot about the Oscars. We've had the best Chris argument. Um, by the time this episode comes out, we will have recorded... Well, hopefully we will have recorded our episode on the <laughs> Uh So if you are interested in that kind of slightly gossip oriented, but generally pretty solid industry understanding of how systems of <laughs> pop culture and celebrity are created, why that can be awesome, why that can sometimes suck, then you can find us on iTunes and everywhere else you get your podcasts. And if you want something a little bit more highbrow,
1: I also am on a new podcast called That Book Was Bonkers, which is a discussion. We read a historical book of some kind and discuss the bonkersness therein. Um, this month, the episode is on Silence, which is a 13th century French romance, which is insane. It's about a girl who was raised as a boy because of inheritance laws and becomes the bestest knight that ever knighted their dragons. And stuff. Why have no one made a movie out of that? I have no idea. It desperately needs to be done. I mean, really, it's there's so much that happens that it just needs to be a Netflix limited series. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also read The Blue Castle by Ellen Montgomery and The Long Fatal Love Chase by Louisa May Alcott. Uh, the Phantom of the Opera. There was terrible singing involved in that one. And... Right now I'm trying to work my way through the 12 Caesars by Suetonius which the introduction of the Penguin edition says this isn't this isn't a scandal sheet it's not a scandal sheet and then a paragraph later it's like okay it's not just a scandal sheet about who was fucking who <laughs> it's a scandal sheet it's definitely a scandal sheet so yes slightly more highbrow except not really Alina, you need a side project.
2: <laughs> <laughs> guys, guys. Everyone needs a side
1: hustle now. We you must know drive what? ourselves right. in Well, she does have a day job, so.
2: About three years ago. So I used to do this thing on my Tumblr where I would live blog old Russian like, Soviet movies with screen grabs. My Sherlock Holmes ones are really popular. And I've been meaning to do for about four? Years ago, I promised this summer I'll do the Formula of Love. Let me see. Formula of Love is a movie in which uh, Count Calyostro comes to Russia, is running from the authorities, goes into like the, the Russian countryside. His carriage breaks down, so he's a guest in the house of this aging countess, rich woman, and her nephew is like pining and. He he falls in love with Calliostro's ward Who is like his ward Well she's not his ward She's a woman he wants to f- have sex with And he was like curing her father So the father gave her to him As his like a payment And in order to distract the budding young love He pretends to turn A statue that the boy used to be in love with Into a woman Also Russian countryside You guys This needs screencaps. I don't know that I can explain <laughs> it It's also the one movie that Baby Me didn't let my mother watch when it came out on TV. I cried apparently throughout the entire movie when she tried to put me down and watch it. Mm. (laughs) It's great. It
1: has songs. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, this has been episode 70. You can find us in many other places. We will see you later in the future. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Angle Fees. I made a fail production. You can reach us on Twitter at Angle Fees. You can send an email to anglefees at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, please leave a five-star rating and a review on iTunes to help other people find the show. Thank you.